Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary, Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, Christ's Revelation. We want to encourage you at this time to please turn to Matthew chapter 24. And so please grab a Bible, maybe pull it up on your smartphone or mobile device, Matthew 24. The title of the message today is Christ's Revelation. And so I mentioned probably two months ago as we've been working our way through the book of Revelation that we have to spend at least one Sunday going to uh, Jesus' uh, words about the end times in Matthew 24. So here we are today and we're doing that. So Matthew 24. Now I wanna encourage you guys, especially those of you who may be um, getting new to the Calvary culture, that you need to bring your Bibles to church. Okay, here's what we're not. We're not a church where you come with no Bible and sit and then you hear a pep talk about how you're the center of the universe and how you can make your life successful. That's not this church. How many of you guys believe that this is God's word? Right? It's actually here for us. God's inspired word. And so we have it. Did you guys know that during the Middle Ages from 500 AD until 1500 AD, that the masses did not have the Bible? Did you know that? Did you know during the Middle Ages for a thousand years that only one out of every 2,500 people could read? Did you know that during the Middle Ages that the average Catholic priest was illiterate and he just memorized the mass in Latin because he couldn't read? Did you know that people learned the Bible during the Middle Ages, um, by and large, through looking at stained glass windows? And you know what changed all that? Something we call 500 years ago, the Reformation. And once the Reformation happened, it's just been in the last 500 years that the laity has access to this book to where we can study it. And so we live in a time of history where, man, we got God's word and we don't need some ecclesiastical magisterium to interpret it for us. We have God's word as a priesthood believers and we can open it up and we can read it and we can learn and we can grow. How many of you guys believe that we live in an awesome time of history, right? And so, hey, this is the sermon, but before the sermon, it's absolutely free, okay? So, hey, don't come to church without a Bible. At least pull it up on your mobile device and follow along. Jesus said, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Not a pep talk about how to be a success, God's word of how to be Christ-like. And so if you found Matthew 24, just say amen. amen. We're gonna get into God's word and see what Jesus has to say about the end of the age. So Father, thank you for the Bible. Lord, our hearts break for churches that have ceased teaching it. But Lord, may we never be numbered among them. I pray, Father, that you'll help us to dig for the gold nuggets that are in the word, the spiritual gold nuggets that can set us free and teach us and help us to grow in your grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we're thankful that uh, we don't have to be guessing about the end times. It's been revealed in the book of Revelation, the Olivet Discourse, and other passages in the scriptures. And so help us to be Bible believers and base 
our end times theology on what you have to say, not what the uh, culture is saying. Help us not to get involved in the religious hype of a misinformed, uninformed culture, but help us to just stick with your word. So we commit this time to you, and God, we pray these things in Jesus' name that all God's people said. All right, well today, we get to study one of the most amazing end time passages in the entire Bible. Matthew 24 is Christ's revelation. And just like the book of Revelation reveals to us how the world is gonna end in the same way, Matthew chapter 24 also reveals to us how the world as we know it is going to end. And because both books have the same author, the Holy Spirit, both messages are essentially the same, giving additional light to each other. And so just a few days before Jesus went to the cross, during the last week of his earthly life, he was there walking around the temple with his disciples. He was in Jerusalem, and we're gonna pick it up now in chapter 24, verse one. It says, Jesus left the temple and he was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the what? The temple. And so as the Lord was getting ready to leave the Temple Mount, um, as he was walking around the enormous temple structures, the disciples were absolutely astonished by the magnificence of this building. And so the, 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 the second Jewish temple uh, was rebuilt or given at least a facelift by King Herod. They started construction around 20 BC. And so it took 84 years in order for the temple and the structures around the temple uh, to actually be completed. And so in Jesus' day, even though the temple was under construction, it was still an amazing sight to behold. And so the disciples walking around were wowed by the buildings of the temple, but Jesus had some very sobering words about it. Look at verse two. It says, but he answered them, you see all these, do you not? In other words, do you see these big buildings? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be what? thrown down. Ladies and gentlemen, exactly what Jesus said would happen, happened. About 35 years after he uttered these words in Matthew 24, verse 2, around A.D. 67, the Jews had it up to here with their Roman occupiers, and so they fought back. They rebelled against the Roman soldiers in Jerusalem, and the Jews actually took back control of the city of Jerusalem. And so Caesar over in Rome had a fit, and so he sent Titus Vespasian, the general of the Roman army, and about three years later, A.D. 70, Titus and the Roman army surrounded and attacked the city of Jerusalem. And during that invasion, the temple was set on fire, and the gold at the top of the temple melted down in between the cracks of the stones of the temple. And the Roman soldiers saw that, and they said, we want that gold, and so what did they do? must have taken weeks, maybe months, but the Roman soldiers dismantled the charred ruins of the temple, stone by stone, scraping out the gold from beneath, uh, between the cracks. They 
dismantled, destroyed the temple stone by stone, just like Jesus said. And so if this prophecy at the beginning of Matthew chapter 24 was literally fulfilled, then we know this. All, everybody say all. All of Jesus' prophecies in Matthew 24 will literally be fulfilled. Now, let's be thinking Christians, all right? I have a question for you, and you can answer out loud. In AD 70, was the temple destroyed, yes or no? Yes. yes. By the way, the Bible doesn't tell us that. Secular history tells us that. And so if that prophecy was fulfilled, and it was everything Jesus said in chapter 24 and chapter 25, otherwise known as the Olivet Discourse. Everything will come to pass. I've said it a thousand times. This book that you have opened, hopefully in your laps, either electronically or in leather-bound form, this book is unlike any other book in the entire world because this book alone has hundreds of prophecies that have been literally fulfilled in history, authenticating it as God's word. And so look at verse three now as we read about the end of the age. As Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, okay, and so I want you to envision this in your mind. He's sitting probably in the Garden of Gethsemane on the western slope of the Mount of Olives, looking across the Kidron Valley, those of you who have been with, to Israel with me, you know exactly what we're talking about. Sitting on the western slope of the Mount of Olives, looking across the Kidron Valley at the Temple Mount. Of course, if you go today with us, you see the Dome of the Rock, but back then, he sees the Jewish Temple. And at that time, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. They're asking him about the end of the world. By the way, did you hear the world's gonna end on Saturday? <laughs> Do you hear that? It's in the headlines, Fox News. Christians, the headline says, say that the world's gonna end on Saturday because some planet's gonna collide with our planet. The only thing I have to say about that is I'll see you at church on Sunday, okay? <laughs> My goodness, how dumb can we be? Verse four, and Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. <laughs> oh, that's a message for today. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And so the reason that I'm preaching on Matthew 24 today is because what Jesus is saying in Matthew 24 correlates with what we've been studying in the book of Revelation. Let me say that again, that's a key point. What Jesus said in this passage corresponds to what John wrote in Revelation chapter six. And so in Revelation chapter six, you remember the father sitting on the throne and he's got the title deed of the earth, a scroll that's been sealed with seven seals. And 
Nobody's worthy to come and take the scroll, the title to do the earth. And John begins to weep. But then here comes the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, and he walks up to his Father, and he takes the scroll, one of my favorite portions in all the Bible. And, the, and all heaven goes crazy. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. You remember that? He takes the seven-sealed scroll, Revelation chapter 6, and he begins to pop the seals. And every time he pops a seal, a judgment is unleashed upon the earth. Here are the first four seal judgments. Do you remember the horsemen of the apocalypse? All right, so the first seal, a guy comes riding in symbolically on a white horse. We know that's the Antichrist, and he's bringing a temporary false peace. The second rider that John in his ap uh, um, apocalyptic vision sees is a guy on a red horse, red being symbolic of blood, and so that seal is all about warfare like we've never seen on the earth. It's a judgment from God. And then the third seal is the third rider. He's riding on a black horse that represents famine. And then the, uh, it all culminates in the fourth seal, which is death. Now, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna see how Jesus' words in Matthew 24 correspond to the seals, okay? And so look at, again, verse five. He says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. This largely corresponds with the first seal. Okay, so the first seal, John writes this, Revelation 6, 1 and 2. And, and I looked, and behold, a white, horse and its rider had a bow, notice no arrows, and a crown was given to him. And so during the tribulation, just like Jesus said, many are gonna come on the scene saying, I'm the Christ, I'm the Christ, I'm the Christ. But the worst false Christ of all will be the guy who symbolically comes in on a white horse, the Antichrist. Notice it's a white horse. That's important because in Revelation uh, chapter 19, verse 11, when Jesus comes back, what color horse is Jesus riding? White. What does that mean? This guy is an imitator. He's trying to imitate the true Christ. And so he comes on the scene and he's got a bow, but there's no arrows. Now, if he had a bow with arrows and he's shooting them at people, that means that he would be a man of war but he has no bow, uh, no arrows. What does that mean? That, mean? that means that initially he comes as a man of peace and that's how he deceives the entire world into following this guy. He's gonna accomplish, I've said this in my studies of Revel Revelation with you, he's gonna come and accomplish what no other politician has been able to accomplish since 1948 when the Jews came back to their land and became a nation. He's gonna bring peace to the Middle East. He's probably gonna win the Nobel Peace Prize. He's gonna deceive with this false peace. And here's what he's gonna do. And this is an important verse, uh, share it again to, with you. Uh, it's, it's a pivotal verse for the study of eschatology or end times. It's Daniel 9, 27. You gotta get that verse to understand how the end of the age is gonna look. Okay, and so in Daniel 9, 27, the Antichrist comes on the scene. He signs a peace treaty with Israel and her neighbors. And everybody look at me. Please get this. That signing 
kicks off the last seven years of history as we know it, otherwise known as the 70th week. The word week in, in Hebrew is Shavuot. It's a week of seven years, the 70th week of Daniel. And so that signing of the peace treaty, that coming of the first seal, the breaking of the first seal, that kicks off what we call the tribulation period. Now look at verse six, what Jesus says in verse six. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there, let's stop right there, and kingdom against kingdom. What does that do? That corresponds with the second seal. Okay, let's look at Revelation. And when Christ in heaven opens in the future, the second seal, out comes another horse, bright red, red symbolic of blood. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should do what to one another? Slay one another. And so during the tribulation period, the worst warfare that mankind has ever seen will, will break out and then the results are gonna be catastrophic. And by the way, this is my opinion, but when I study Old Testament and New Testament passages, it seems pretty clear that nuclear warfare will happen on this planet. When I read passages about guys' eyes dissolving in their sockets, their tongues dissolving in their mouth, and their flesh dissolving you know, off their bones, says nuclear warfare to me. That's in Zechariah. Okay, and so it'll be the worst warfare the world has ever seen. And Jesus said there'll be wars and rumors of wars, and nation will rise up against nation. And then look at what Jesus says at the second half of verse 7 and there will be, what's the word? Famines. Famines, that corresponds with the third seal. Everybody look at the screen, Revelation 6, 5. And when Christ in heaven op opens the third seal, behold, a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And so because of the global warfare, here's what's gonna happen, food distribution all around the world is either gonna be destroyed or hindered and that's gonna to lead to the worst famine that the world has ever experienced. And so um, the scales, this is important too, the scales associated with the third seal has to do with the rationing of food because food is gonna be so scarce. I mean, you, you guys think Publix was uh, pretty empty before Irma? <laughs> Just wait till the tribulation period. And so the, the rationing of food and in the passage, I don't have time, but as you continue to read Revelation 6, you see that this incredible inflation takes place because of the famine. I mean, if you think there was price gouging in Florida the last two weeks, you haven't seen anything yet. And so all of that is associated, that famine that Jesus talked about is associated with the third seal. And what's the result of global warfare and global famine other end time catastrophes, well, it's the fourth seal. It all culminates in death. Revelation 6, 8 says the result of the warfare and the result of the famine, pestilence, and wild beasts, get this, one-fourth of the world's populations wiped out. That's hard to get your mind around. And by the way, that's just the first half of the tribulation period. 
And now Jesus says a shocking statement. Look at verse 8. All these are but the beginning of what? Birth pains. And so moms, you know this, right? When a pregnant woman goes into labor and she starts having her labor pains, birth pains, contractions, what happens is that those labor pains increase in frequency and intensity one after another, harder and harder, closer and closer together until finally the baby's born and everything is fine. And so in the same way, if you're taking notes, during the tribulation period, catastrophic events will increase in frequency and intensity until Christ returns to set up his kingdom. And so I want, I want to recap this. Okay, so uh, the Antichrist signs that treaty the birth pains begin in the first half of the tribulation. What happens is that there's, there's warfare, wars and rumors of war. There's famine. Not only that, um, but Jesus goes on to say there's uh, earthquakes. The worst false messiah ever, the Antichrist, is on the scene. And Jesus says that's just the beginning of the birth pains. Why? Because in the second half of the tribulation period, you guys remember the seals are followed by the trumpet judgments, which are followed by the seven bowl judgments. We'll get to that when we get to Revelation 16. That's in the second half. The bowl judgments are in the second half, one after another after another, coming down upon the planet. Moms, I want you to think of when you had your child. Those of you who didn't have the epidural, were you screaming? Probably. Were you yelling? Were you yelling at your husband? Did you have a few choice words? Don't answer that one. For your husband? Right, the pain was almost unbearable. Right, and so in the same way, it's the same thing, in the end times, Jesus says this, just like a mother's contractions lead to the birth of something new and wonderful, so the tribulation contractions are gonna lead to the birth of something new and wonderful. And so you're screaming and you're yelling, right? It hurts so bad, but then what happens? Your child is born. It's the same thing in the tribulation when the bold judgments hit. Man, everything is going crazy on planet Earth. It's anything but normal. Life is unbearable. But then what happens? The kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ comes literally to the earth. Jesus comes back and he establishes his kingdom. I'm wondering, are you excited about him coming back and doing that? Right? It will happen. Not allegorically, but literally, it will happen. <laughs> and moms, I want you to think about the joy that you had when they wiped off your baby and they handed your baby to you. It was almost like you didn't even have those contractions. I'm speaking as a man, you know, sorry. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said that. We'll take that out of the tape. But remember how happy you were? Oh, man, my baby! Do you know how happy God's people who survive the horrors of the tribulation, the contractions, you know how happy they're gonna be when they see Jesus coming on the clouds of heaven? Their joy will know no bounds. And so, all coming, as Jesus said, uh, in the future, and because he predicted the first prophecy right, 
about the destruction of the temple, we know all this stuff will absolutely happen. Now, for sake of time, let me just say this. From verse 9 um, all the way to verse 29, Jesus gives sign after sign after sign. Okay, and so there's intense persecution of God's people. And by the way, all these signs correlate with Revelation. Intense persecution of God's people, the martyrdom of millions, the abomination of desolation. You remember what that is? I'm not going to re-preach that sermon, but uh, suffice it to say, the coming Antichrist, the political leader, will, halfway through the tribulation, three and a half years in, go into the rebuilt temple there on the Temple Mount, and he'll set up an image of himself in that rebuilt temple. Jesus says that's an abomination which will cause desolation. God says, I've had it with you 42 months, and you're out of here. Jesus talked about that in verse 15. And so the abomination of desolation, false signs and wonders, the sun darkened, the moon turned to blood, meteors coming down, the powers of heaven shaken. Then and only then, verse 30, everybody look at verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Okay, and so once again, peace treaty signed. That's the first seal. And then the contractions begin. The contractions continue to get worse. They increase in frequency and intensity. You have halfway through the Antichrist setting up his image. Now God's you think he was wrathful before, now the wrath is really coming down, one cataclysmic event after another, the contractions are getting closer and closer, harder and harder, and then, verse 30, the Son of Man comes on the clouds of heaven. Does this make sense to you guys? Therefore, I know this is a controversial statement, but I have to share my heart. When I look at what's just happened, Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma, the earthquake in Mexico. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but there was an earthquake in Haiti that, uh, thank God, our, our, the kids that we support down at GVCM Orphanage are okay. But when you look at those, listen, I do not see the labor pains that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. I just see um, the result of living in a fallen world. You say, why do you say that? I say that because the labor pains that Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 24 correspond to what John wrote about in Revelation chapter 6, and that's the tribulation period. That happens after the Middle East Peace Treaty is signed. And so what we've recently seen has been terrible. And man, if, if your house got flooded or you were without power for days, I'm so sorry uh, for your pain. But listen, all of, all of that that's happened in our state, it's nothing compared to the seven seals when they're open, the seven trumpet judgments when they're blown, and the seven bowls of wrath when they come during the tribulation period. And so, look at verse 32 now. And if I haven't offended you yet, this will offend you. 
Verse 32, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as his branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, when you see all these things, plural, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And so some people, evangelicals like me, they say the fig tree that Jesus is talking about is Israel. And so the generation that saw Israel come back to their land in 1948, that generation will not pass away until all these things in Matthew 24 are fulfilled. Well, it's true that in Jeremiah 24 and Hosea chapter nine, the fig tree or figs represents Israel, but there's lots of other passages about fig trees and figs that have nothing to do with Israel in the Bible. And I want you to look at the parallel passage in Luke. Check it out. As Luke records and does his eyewitnesses, apparently Jesus said something else when he made this statement. Look at the fig tree and how many trees? You see that? All the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. And so Jesus wants us to learn a lesson, not just from the fig tree, but from all the trees. Now don't get me wrong, the Jews returning to their land in 1948 was an amazing act of God. I believe that it is the trigger that has set the stage for end time events. I believe God was all over it, but hey, that's not what Jesus is talking about. And I wanna look at it really closely with you. Look again at verse 32. You say, Pastor Mike, man, you keep making us look down at the Bible. This is hard work. <laughs> yeah. If you're gonna go dig for gold and dig up the ground and the rocks, it's hard work. But aren't you glad when you get the gold? All right, so hey, it takes a little bit of work. Let's not be lazy. <laughs> Look at verse 32, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. Luke says, Jesus also said in that context, and all the trees, as soon as his branch becomes tender and puts out his leaves, you know summer is near. So what is Jesus saying? He's just saying that after a long winter, when the trees start sprouting leaves, hey, after that long winter, summer's near. So also, or in the same way, when you see all these things Plural, what things? In the context, all the signs that he's been talking about. You know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So to be crystal clear, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the generation that sees the signs, plural, of the tribulation will not pass away until all these things take place. Does that make sense? Why won't that generation pass away? Because the tribulation is how long? Just seven years. Okay, and so when those on the earth see the signs, plural, that Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, and all the signs, plural, that John starts writing about in Revelation 6 and following, then they know that Jesus is at the door. Look at verse 36 now. Now, before I read verse 36, let me just say the flow of 
chapter 24 is he starts to give the signs of the coming tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel, halfway through is the abomination of desolation. All those signs culminate, verse 30, in the second coming of Jesus to the earth. Then he stops his thought. He begins to talk about the lesson of the fig tree, and Luke says, all the trees. And then now, here's a somewhat new idea or section that we're coming to in verse 36. He says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Please say no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. Now obviously when Jesus rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father, he now knows when he's coming back. But in his human nature, in his human body, he did not know. Now here's what I wanna focus in on. Concerning his coming, Jesus says, no one knows the day. No one knows the day. It's right there in black and white. But when it comes to the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth, many people are gonna know the exact day. Did you know that tribulation saints who are alive during the tribulation who have a Bible, they're gonna know the exact day that Jesus is gonna touch down on planet earth? You say, what? What do you mean? Yeah, they're gonna read Revelation 13, five, that he, the Antichrist, after the abomination of desolation, is given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for how long? 42 months. How long is 42 months? How many years? Three and a half years. They're gonna read Revelation chapter 12, verse six, referring to the same period of time as 1,260 days. So when the Antichrist sets up the image of himself in the rebuilt temple, the tribulation saints who have a Bible or studying their Bibles, they can start counting down the days. All right, 1,260 days left. I hope we can survive all the cataclysmic events, all the contractions, so that we can see the Lord coming on that very day. Now, if that's true, and it is, why? Why, in verse 36, did Jesus say, no one knows the day? If you're with me, say amen here. Amen. Okay, let's rightly divide the word of truth, okay? Here's why, because in verse 36, Jesus was not talking about his return to the earth. He was talking about his return to the clouds. Did you know there's two phases of the return of Jesus Christ? There's the coming to the clouds and there's the coming to the earth. The coming to the clouds is known, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17, as the harpazo or rapture of the church. And the coming all the way to the earth is the second coming. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm persuaded, and I've had this position for over 30 years, and I'm not changing it, but I'm persuaded with all my heart that the rapture, the coming of Jesus to the clouds, the one where he says no one knows the day or the hour, will happen before the signing of the Middle East Peace Treaty. Why? Because the one who restrains the Holy Spirit in the church is taken away, and then the man of sin is revealed. And so at the rapture, the rapture happens before the 70th week of Daniel. God's got to finish 
When that last Gentile convert receives Christ as his Savior and Lord, we're out of here. And then what does God do? He turns his attention back to Israel. Why? Because there's tons of promises in the Old Testament that he still will fulfill because God's a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. Israel is not the church and the church is not Israel. Don't believe what most churches teach. They're wrong. Don't, don't interpret the Bible allegorically. Here's what you gotta do when you go to the Bible. You interpret it with the grammatical, historical, contextual method of interpretation, otherwise known as the literal interpretation. I've told you before, if my wife writes me a letter, I'm not gonna try to read into it all these hidden meanings. I'm just gonna read what it says. And that's what we do when it comes to the Bible. Now sure, there's figures of speech in the Bible, but there's literal truths behind every figure of speech. And so the rapture of the church, 1 Thessalonians 4, happens before the tribulation period. The second coming all the way to the earth happens at the end of the tribulation period. At the rapture, Jesus comes as a groom for his bride and he takes us away to the marriage supper of the lamb. Why? We're not appointed unto wrath. But at the second coming, he comes as a warrior to save his remnant, the remnant of Israel. And so therefore, when you look at the Bible, you see that there's two phases of his coming and that flows perfectly with Matthew chapter 24. Look at verse 37 now. For as were the days, now this is huge. As were the days of who? Noah. Noah. So will be the coming of the son of man. Okay, in the context, that's the coming where no one knows the day. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. The whole world perished. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And so this is important, you gotta get this, but before the second coming, that's this coming right here, that's when he comes back to the earth. Cataclysmic events are gonna rock humanity. It's gonna be anything but normal. But before the rapture back here, before that occurs, life's gonna be normal. Okay, and so before the second coming to the earth, you got the abomination of desolation. You got millions of people that are martyred. You got massive volcanoes and earthquakes. The sun is darkened, the moon turns to blood. Meteors are falling, the sky is receding. Men are hiding in caves and crying out for the rocks and the mountains to fall upon them. Question, answer out loud. Does that sound normal to you? No. No, it's anything but. That's what happens before the second coming all the way to the earth. But before the first phase of that coming, when he comes to the clouds, Jesus says, hey, it's like the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, entirely different scene. People are eating and drinking. They're getting married. They're giving their sons and daughters in marriage. They're having a good old time, party time. Sounds a lot like our culture. 
Things were normal, but then all of a sudden, Noah entered the ark, closed the door, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Jesus says, likewise is my coming. And so before Jesus comes in the clouds and takes away uh, the church, life is normal. People are focused on the normal things of life, of eating and drinking and getting married and giving in marriage. But the same way, after the restrainer is removed and after the Lord uh, snatches up his church, then the horrors of the seven-year tribulation, like the flood, sweep over a Christ-rejecting and unbelieving world. Does this make sense to you guys? Therefore, verse 40, he says in the context, then two men will be in a field, one will be taken and one left. Can you imagine? You're standing there and all of a sudden the guy next to you disappears. What happened? Verse 41, two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Boom, gone. What happened? Therefore, stay awake. Okay, so here's the message to third service, Calvary Port St. Lucie, in the church age that we live in right now, because you don't know the day, you don't know the hour, I don't know the day and I don't know the hour, but Jesus is telling you and me, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So I agree with guys like Ray Steadman, David Guzik, that these verses in 40 through 42 refer to the rapture of the church. By the way, David Guzik just finished his entire commentary on the entire word of God. And listen to this, it's available for free at enduringword.com. Okay, so I want you to remember what I said about the Middle Ages, how the masses didn't have access to the Bible and they learned their Bible by and large through stained glass windows at church. And I want you to know that right now we have Bible commentaries coming out of our ears. We have the opportunity, church family, if you'll take it, to begin to study the word of God like you've never studied it before. And I'm just giving you one resource that I'm recommending and that's David Guzik, G-U-Z-I-K, and his commentary can be found at EnduringWord.com. EnduringWord.com. And so here's what's gonna happen, and it may be our generation. No one knows the day or the hour. But people are gonna be eating and drinking and focused on the normal things of life, and all of a sudden, one guy's taken, the other's left. You say, why is that gonna happen? Here's, let me quote to you, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17. If right now you're listening to the word of God, say amen. amen. Listen to this. This is Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, for the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, Paul thought the rapture could happen in his, in his lifetime because he knew it was imminent then we who are alive and remain will be caught up, harpazo in the Greek, raptus in the Latin Vulgate from where we get our English word rapture. We will be caught up, we will be raptured with them 
in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for Jesus Christ. We're not appointed to wrath. We're appointed to glory and the marriage supper of the Lamb. Put your hands together and thank the Lord, right? Thank the Lord for that. The question is, are you ready for the rapture? Now, you say, how do I get ready? You need to be born again. You need to be regenerate spiritually. You say, well, I go to church and I'm a pretty nice guy, so I think I'm gonna make it. Mark it down, underline it in red, highlight it in yellow. On the authority of God's word, if you're trusting in your church attendance every once in a while, and the fact that you're a good guy or a good girl, you will not make it. Is that clear enough? You will not make it. You will be left behind to experience the horrors of the tribulation period. You must, Jesus said to Nicodemus, a religious guy who was a pretty nice guy, he said, you must be born again, John 3, 3. Please base your beliefs on the word of God, not on some religious tradition. Paul wrote under the inspiration of the scriptures, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, speaking about the new birth experience that's in Titus. Paul, again, writing to the church at Ephesus, he said, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. If you're here today and you're trusting in you, that you're good enough to make it to heaven, you will be left behind. And you are not born again. You say, what do I have to do to be born again? You have to listen and heed to the gospel, the good news. And so what's the gospel? The gospel is clearly this. You have to be lost, you have to understand your loss before you can be saved. And that means that you come to a place where you recognize, yep, I'm a sinner, and the penalty of my sin is death. 